Good morning. Thanks for those of you who are here in the room. Thanks for venturing out on a snowy morning. This is the first uh, real snow that we've had since I've been your pastor. And so you just kind of need to know how I operate. I think that's only fair. I just don't cancel. Thank you. That was a great place for an amen. Thank you. So uh, if you guys are waking up on Sunday morning and you look outside and you see the snow and you think to yourself, I wonder if we're having church today, just follow that up quickly with, of course we are. Of course we are. And so uh, you guys can come out and be a part of church on snowy Sunday mornings. I'll be here. And uh, if I'm the only person in the room looking at that camera, hoping that I can find somebody to run the camera, we will have church. Uh, and uh, if you guys can make it, we want you to be here. Some of you have four-wheel drive vehicles, and you live for Sundays like today because you get a chance to get out and drive around and use that four-wheel drive. Uh, but I just want to let you know, I just tend to not cancel. So... Uh, so that's kind of how we'll, we'll function moving forward, just so that you're aware of that. For those of you who are at home, I just want to reiterate what I posted on Facebook earlier this morning, that if you can't get out or are uncomfortable driving in the weather conditions, uh, the live stream is a great way for you to connect and be a part and still gather with us, as we've learned over this last year. If we were to rewind to this time last year at Lakeview, uh, if you weren't in the room, you wouldn't have an opportunity to gather with us. But because of the live stream now, you do have that chance. And we're so glad that you've carved out space this morning to be with us. So thank you for gathering for uh, worship with us today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, just a week ago yesterday, I sat in this room. It was on Saturday, January 23rd. I sat in this room just kind of somewhere over here. And we had a funeral uh, to celebrate the life of Nolan Spence. Now, some of you know Nolan really well, uh, but I was amazed as I sat in uh, the funeral next to Wilma Vogt. Wilma and I have found ourselves sitting at a couple funerals together recently. We kind of find each other and sit with each other at these funerals. But we were sitting together back here, and, and we were talking about the fact that the Spences were one of the founding members of Lakeview Church. If you go all the way back to the 1960s when Lakeview Church was started, there was a group of five families, and the Spences were one of those families, and they believed that God had called them to start a church here in Marion, Indiana, not just so they could have a place to go to church. Right? They didn't start a church just for themselves. They believed that God had called them to start a church in Marion, Indiana, for the people around them, not just in that day, but in the generations to come. They had a vision from God that they were called to serve the community, to present the gospel, and to fulfill God's purposes in this community, both in their day and for generations to come. That's why they founded Lakeview Church. And as I sat in the funeral that day and I thought about the Spences and I thought about the kind of people who found organizations, what I realized is that founders are a unique breed because founders have a future orientation. They're not just thinking about this moment and this day, they're thinking about this moment and this day and the days to come. They're looking into the future and they're starting something that will be effective in the present, 
But they hope that it will endure for generations to come so that people in the future can be served by what it is that they are starting. They have a future orientation. And so I found myself in a funeral, which is something that often happens when one of God's dear saints goes to be with him. I found myself sitting in a funeral asking myself, what does this teach me about how to live my life? And as I sat there, I thought to myself, I want to have a future orientation like the Spences did. I want to think about the future. I want to think beyond my lifetime. And I want to give myself to things in my day and in my time that will endure beyond my lifetime. Things that matter both now and into the future. Do you want to be like that? I hope so, because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have no interest in being future-oriented, you're going to hate this sermon, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we're standing at the very beginning of a new day here at Lakeview Church. We are standing at the beginning of a brand new day here at Lakeview Church. God's got plans for our future. And as we think about our future, it's important for us to just pause for a moment and remember where we came from. In 1960, five families got together and started a church. And when we look back over the days since that moment when this church was started, we can see the faithfulness of God. Amen? God has been so good to this church to help this church grow and expand and serve this community. Not just by presenting the gospel, not just by being a church, but, but by starting a Christian school and serving families, helping, helping their education be integrated with faith, to, to found their learning on the scriptures and a Christian worldview. And to see the number of people who have been touched by that, families and children who have grown up, not just coming to church on Sunday, but by learning everything that they have learned in their education from a Christian perspective. To see the number of people who have been called to ministry in Lakeview Christian School and in this church and sent out to serve God's kingdom in other parts of the world. To see the number of missionaries that have been supported and served down through the ages. To see people who have been called to serve God in other parts of the globe. And to watch this church stand behind those people as they've been sent out. To see the vision of a counseling center that has been raised up so that people are being counseled from a Christian perspective. People who might not ever set foot in a church to know that they are getting help with, with the issues that they're dealing with and working their way through and to get that help from a Christian perspective and to see that happening not just one time, but over and over and over again down through the years. God has been faithful, amen? We look back and we can celebrate our past. And I hope that we can look at where we are today and enjoy our present. I hope that when you think back over just the last several months, that, that we can see even the faithfulness of God in our current day. God has helped us in this last year. A year ago, we didn't have video capabilities. We didn't know we would need them. 
And then we had COVID and we wondered, how are we going to meet when we can't meet? And God helped us. And we scrambled and a huge thank you to College Wesleyan Church and their tech team. You might not be aware of this, but they came over every single week and recorded our services until we got up to speed with our own team. Every single week, they brought their cameras and their equipment, and they set it up in the back of the sanctuary and recorded and helped us edit and figure out how to keep meeting as a church. They did that without any cost to our church. That's, that's what the kingdom of God does. When God's people come together, they help one another. We don't compete with other churches in our community. We serve with them for the purposes of God. The college church didn't just come and help us record. They actually trained our people so that we could, could do this long term. Because we didn't know how long COVID would last. Remember we, when we thought July 3rd was going to be Independence Day? Remember the governor said, we're going to get to July 3rd and that'll be phase five, whatever that means. And here we are still wearing masks, still trying to figure all this stuff out. Right? God's been faithful to us in that. God's been faithful as you conducted a pastoral search virtually. You are innovative as a church. Did you know that? I think you're the first Wesleyan church ever to conduct a pastoral search virtually. You may not be happy with the results, but you were innovative. You were innovative. And we transitioned to new leadership, and we've walked through these months together, and we have a lot to celebrate in the present. We had, we've had people give their hearts to Christ since May. We've baptized five individuals. We've seen new people coming to our church on a regular basis. We've, we've started a whole vision discernment process. We've had focus groups that have met. Over 160 people have spoken into the process. And we have a first draft of a vision document of where we believe God's taking us over the next five years. By the way, quick time out. Uh, just to say that we're going to start sharing that vision document during the month of February. And they're going to be what we're calling vision feedback sessions. You can sign up for those. I think we've got four or five scheduled. Some of those are in person. Some of those are online, virtually. And you can connect to any one of those that fits your schedule or that works for you. And if we need to schedule more, we'll be happy to do that. But we're inviting you into these sessions where I'm going to share the vision document with you, kind of give you the overview, and you're going to have an opportunity to ask your questions, share your observations, and give your feedback because we're still discerning the vision that God's giving us. Now, the document that we're going to share, we believe that it's, uh, if, if you think about a dartboard, I used to play darts with my uncle when I was a kid in his garage. And if you think about the dartboard, uh, we, we believe that the document we've written has placed us on the right dartboard. So we're not anticipating from these feedback sessions that we're going to somehow shift an entire trajectory away from what we've discovered and what we've discerned so far to a new dartboard. We think we're on the right dartboard because God spoke through you as a church. But what these vision feedback sessions are all about is honing in on the bullseye. 
You're going to ask questions because there are things in my mind, you'll discover this the longer that we're together, there are things in my mind that are crystal clear that when you hear them, you're like, what is he talking about? That doesn't make any sense. That's why we do these feedback sessions because you'll ask your questions and I'll go, oh, it's only clear in here. I have to put it in like normal language so everyone else can understand. And then you'll help us. So come to one of the feedback sessions and give us your feedback. It will be incredibly helpful. What was I talking about? Joseph, that's who we're going to talk about today. We're on the edge of a brand new day here at Lakeview. And as I've said, we've got a, a past that we can celebrate. We've got a present that I hope we can enjoy and look at the faithfulness of God. But here's the thing I want you to know today. The wonderful past that we can celebrate, the wonderful present that we are enjoying right now, neither one of them constitute God's plan for our future. I want to say that one more time. The wonderful past that God has given us, that we look back on and we can see the faithfulness of God. We ought to celebrate that and we can. The present, these months that we've enjoyed together where we can look and say, look at how God's been faithful. He's been so good to us, and he has been, and we should enjoy that. But the past that we celebrate and the present that we enjoy, neither one of them constitute God's plan for our future. Right now, we're sitting at this day, with a wonderful heritage that we've received from those who have gone before us, but we will not be judged based on the heritage we have received. We will be judged on what we do with it. We will not be judged on the heritage that we have received. We will be judged on the legacy that we leave for those who will come behind us. And so in order for us to have the kind of lives that we need to have in this day, we must have a future-oriented faith. One that isn't stuck in the past. One that isn't concerned with institutionalizing the present. But one that's constantly saying, where is God leading us and how do we go there? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You see, the legacy that we are going to leave behind is wrapped up in whether or not we will become the kind of church God is asking us to become. Right? We're going to be the kind of church, if I have anything to say about it, that enters right into the heart of our community, which right now could be described as a, as a community and a culture that's dead and decaying because it doesn't have the hope and life that God can bring to it. 42,000 people in Grant County today woke up without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means they're still dead in their sins and in their transgressions. And God is calling us as a church to help those people come back to life by sharing his gospel with them. And so we as a church will find our legacy as we go right into the middle of that valley in Ezekiel 37, right? The valley of dry bones. We go there, and when we get there, we proclaim the word of God. The word of God, which can bring dead things back to life. 
And we do that with faith and with hope. That a valley of dry bones could become an exceedingly great army. What would it be like if Grant County became the center of God's work in redeeming the world? Because the life of God has brought everyone who was previously dead back to life again. That's the kind of hope we're called to have as God's people. Because we either believe God can make dead things live again or we don't. And if we believe he can make dead things live again, then it's our job to go proclaim the word where death currently reigns and let God work his miracles. Amen? You're going to learn where the amens go. You're going to learn. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about Joseph. We've already read a few verses about his story, but Joseph has a future-oriented faith. Remember, we've been looking at all of these people from uh, the book of Hebrews. We looked at Noah, and we said Noah had a relational faith, right? He walked with God, he took God at his word, and he did what God commanded him to do. He built an ark. We talked about Abraham. We said he had an obedient faith. God said, Abraham, leave everything that's comfortable and go to a place I'm going to show you. And Abraham leaves and goes. He's obedient to God's call. And then we looked at Abraham again last week and we said he had a sacrificial faith because he was a friend of God. When God came and said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him, Abraham's able to do that, not because his God was asking him, but because his friend was asking him. Today I want to talk to you about Joseph who has a future-oriented faith. Now you may not be familiar with Joseph's story, so let me just take a couple of moments and maybe just familiarize you with Joseph's story. It's found in the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible, and you can find it from chapters 37 to chapters 50 in the book of Genesis. And Joseph is the youngest of 12 brothers. He's born uh, to Jacob late in his life. And because of that, Jacob loves him dearly. In fact, loves him probably a little too much, actually to the point of giving favorite uh, status to Joseph. And Joseph, not only is his father's favorite, but, but Joseph has a God-given dream. And in this dream, God reveals to Joseph the trajectory of his life. He says to Joseph, one day, Joseph, you're going to be in a position of power and authority and your parents and your siblings are going to bow down to you. Every uh, last born child in the family wants God to give them a dream like this. That one day you'll be the most important. That's what happened to Joseph. Now, to, to be truthful, Joseph was a little arrogant about it. He decides after God gives him a dream, he's, he calls a family meeting. Hey guys, just want to let you know, someday I'm going to be the most important. You're actually going to bow down to me. It didn't go over well, as you might imagine. In fact, because of his arrogance and because of his willingness to share this dream that God had given him, which by the way, was God's plan for his life. God didn't give him that dream mistakenly. This was God's dream for Joseph. But Joseph's siblings, they don't like it. So they, they actually stage his death and they sell him into slavery. And these slave traders take him to Egypt. And there he's purchased 
by Potiphar. Potiphar is a, a military leader in Egypt at the time, and Joseph enters into Potiphar's household, and he's responsible, and God is with Joseph, and Joseph actually is put in charge of all of Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife likes Joseph. She thinks he's handsome. She wants Joseph for herself, and she tries repeatedly to seduce him. But Joseph is a person of integrity, and so he refuses to give in. And so we come to this moment in Joseph's story where she's trying again to seduce him, and he runs out of the house to flee temptation. He's godly. He's got character. But he leaves his cloak behind. And that's enough for Potiphar's wife to make up a story about him, and she does that. And Joseph is thrown into prison. Joseph does what he does. He's responsible. Even in prison, he's responsible. And he actually grows in power inside of the prison, and he's put in, in charge of the entire prison. Second in command, the warden is the only person above him. And there, he remains in a position of power. He's actually overlooked a couple of times for early release. But eventually, he is released, and he's released to help Pharaoh interpret a dream, which God gives Joseph the ability to do. And Joseph finds himself now working for Pharaoh. In Pharaoh's house, he does the same exact thing. He rises to power. Second in charge now, not over a household, not over a prison, but over an entire nation. And this is God's way of positioning Joseph right where he needs him to be. Because he's going to tell Joseph that a famine's coming. And you better stockpile food. Food not just for Egypt, but for all of the region. And that's exactly what Joseph does. They stockpile food. Enough food to feed all of Egypt and the surrounding region and Joseph's family. This is where the dream gets fulfilled. Joseph's family travels from their location to Egypt to get food because the famine is widespread and it's long-lasting. Seven years it lasted. They come to Egypt and as the story plays out, I mean, this is, this is the stuff that makes an HBO miniseries. It's just, it's full circle. And all of the sudden, Joseph's brothers are in front of him. And in essence, they are bowing down to him, saying, please help us. And then they realize that this is their brother, the one they sold into slavery. And now they're remorseful because they realize Joseph has the power in his hand, not just to help them. He actually has the power to hurt them. But he calms their nerves by saying, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God was putting me right where he needed me to be. Not just to save Egypt, not just to help the surrounding nations, but to help you in this moment. You see, we often read the story of the Bible and we think of Egypt as the oppressor of Israel. But long before Egypt was the oppressor of Israel, Egypt was Israel's deliverance. Sometimes God uses things for a season. And then he uses something else. 
God used Egypt to actually save Jacob's family. By the way, Jacob would one day be known as Israel. He saved Israel through Egypt. And in fact, Joseph's family's invited in. They're given land. They prosper. They multiply. And God favors them in Egypt. And then Joseph dies at the ripe age of 110. But before he dies, he calls his brothers to his side and he says to them, Hey guys, I just want to remind you, the past that we can look back on and celebrate of how God saved us through Egypt and the present that we enjoy here in this land where we have prospered, where we have multiplied, where we have seen God's favor. Neither one of those constitute God's plan for our future. Joseph says, remember, there's a promised land. The one God said he was going to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to our father Jacob. And he is not giving up on that promise. So guys, don't just celebrate the past and don't institutionalize the present. Pursue the future. And Joseph was so convinced that a future was out in front of them that he said, guys, I'm going to die. But would you take my bones with me when you go? I believe in the future so much that even after I'm dead, I want to participate in the future. Man, I want to be like Joseph. Don't you? There are some things this story teaches us. And to frame up the lessons that I want to share with you today, I thought I'd give you a little insight into that mind of mine. It's a little hard to figure out, but I thought it might be helpful for you just to have a little window into the way that I think. So a few years ago, I turned 40. I remember when I was a little kid and my uncle, who I looked up to, turned 40, and I thought, he is so old. Now my mindset has completely changed. 40 is so young. So young. But when I I turned 40, the year leading up to my 40th birthday, it prompted some reflection in my life. And some of the reflection that I did that year uh, kind of centered around a document that I created. I'm giving you a little window into the mind right now. I created a document entitled, What Kind of Old Man Would I Like to Be? I really did this. I see you laughing, Abby. I really did this. What kind of old man would I like to be? And for the entire year leading up to my 40th birthday, I wrote in my journal all around that theme and transferred ideas into this document. And some of the things that I wrote were kind of silly. Like I thought about myself as an 80-year-old, and Jim Hayes is going to give me a hard time Jim, I know you're at home right now and you're watching this video and you're going to give me a hard time because you're going to say 80 isn't old either. But it kind of is. (laughs) And Jim will say, he's probably sending me an email right now about it. 
I just thought, I thought about myself as an 80-year-old, and I thought, what kind of 80-year-old do I want to be? And I thought of myself on my front porch in a rocking chair with my great-grandchildren around me saying, great-grandpa, how do you use the newest iPhone? I told you, some of it's kind of silly. But I thought, as I thought about what kind of old man, I just wanted to be the kind of old man who doesn't need help with technology. I want to be the kind of old man who gives help with technology. I told you, I'm giving you a window into how this brain thinks. I thought about uh, old people that I've known in my life, and particularly old people that I knew kind of around that season when I was approaching 40. And I thought about the fact that there are some old people and you can all just relax because I didn't know, I wasn't thinking about any of you during this time. So this is not about you at all. But there were some old people I knew at that time that every time I was around them, they were deflating. They were negative. It seemed like every conversation I had with them, they were reminding me of what I couldn't do and how my ideas wouldn't work. And even though they were trying to offer me wisdom from their experience, it didn't come across that way. It actually came across as a heaviness that pushed me down. And then there were people like Ed Hoover who were exactly the opposite. I don't know how many of you know Ed Hoover, but you should know him. Ed is one of the guys that every time I was around him, I just had wind in my sails. Even when he was telling me why my idea wouldn't work, I never felt deflated. I felt encouraged and strengthened and inspired to pursue something else. And I thought to myself, wrote it in my journal, I want to be like Ed Hoover. I do. I still want to be like Ed Hoover. I wrote about biblical characters. I wrote about Paul, who in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verse 13, says to Timothy, Timothy, when you come for my visit, can you bring my books and my papers? I love that verse. Because Paul's nearing the end of his life. His ministry is really complete. This is after he's already said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. But he still wants his books and his papers. And I wrote in my journal, keep growing as you get older. Don't stop reading, don't stop writing, and don't stop learning. And I thought about Joseph. And I wrote about his story because Joseph is found in Hebrews chapter 11, but he's not found for any of the reasons that you'd think he'd be included in that chapter. He's not included in Hebrews 11 because he dreamed big dreams for God. He's not included in Hebrews 11 because he was a person of godly character. He's not in Hebrews 11 because he was an effective leader. The only reason he's in Hebrews 11 is because when he died, he pointed to the future. That's the only reason he's in Hebrews 11. It's like all the other stuff of Joseph's life, which is pretty exceptional. All of that didn't matter. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, oh, you should be like Joseph. Because when he died, he pointed to the future. 
So in my journal, I wrote four lessons, and I'm going to share them with you very quickly as we're coming to the end here. And everybody said, amen. Four lessons that I am trying to live out in the second half of my life that might be helpful to you wherever you're at in your journey to start cultivating and developing a future-oriented faith. Lesson number one, don't make your experience the standard for the next generation. I don't know if you've ever heard John Maxwell speak, but whenever he says hard things, he always says, uh, hi, my name's John, and I'm your friend. I'm going to steal that line this morning and just say, hi, my name's Chris, and I'm your friend. Okay, so if any of this feels like, like you want to say, ouch, just remember, my name's Chris, and I'm your friend. And this is from my journal, not yours. Don't make your experience the standard for the next generation. Here are some of the things I wrote in my journal. Egypt was really good to Joseph. In Egypt, God's dreams for his life were fulfilled. He was elevated as a leader, highly influential, used by God to save lives and establish God's people in a place where they experienced the blessings and favor of God. Yet, at the end, Joseph is not found telling the next generation to look back on the great run that they've had or to keep it the same for the present or future generations. No, instead, he's reminding them that God has more for them in the days ahead. To look back with nostalgia or attempt to institutionalize the present reality would actually short-circuit God's plan for the future. Joseph knew that Egypt had been a critical part of God's provision and plan for his people, but he also knew that Egypt wasn't the end. So he doesn't make his standard, his experience the standard for the next generation. He celebrates what God has done, bringing them to this moment, and then with faith, he points them to look for what's next. This kind of future-oriented faith is prophetic, and it's powerful. And it's the kind of faith I want to have. Lesson number two. Always remember that God's purposes stretch beyond your lifetime. Always remember that God's purposes stretch beyond your lifetime. One of the key things that I've learned from Joseph is that he had a clear sense of God's purpose. God gave him a dream, and he knew what the dream was, and he lived his life in a way to fulfill the dream. He never quit, and he had all kinds of setbacks, all kinds of hardships, but he never quit. He just kept going, and the scriptures keep telling us, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph. He knows God's plan for his life, and he spends his life fulfilling that dream. But when he gets to the end, he doesn't take this perspective that God's purposes end with him. He just recognizes that his life story was just a little sliver in the overall story of what God is doing. And that's true for all of us. Our lives are just a vapor. 
here today and gone tomorrow, which doesn't mean they don't matter. They do matter. They just don't always matter as much as we think they do. Right? We just live our lives faithfully, and then when we come to the end, we say, God's purposes are so much bigger than what's been experienced in my lifetime. Keep pursuing Him. That's what Joseph teaches us. Remember, God's purpose stretches beyond your lifetime. Lesson number three, leverage your influence to move God's people forward. Again, this was one of the things I wrote in my journal. As the end of his life is drawing close, this is right from my journal. As the end of his life is drawing close, Joseph calls his brothers around him. And in those closing moments of his life, he uses all of the influence that he's gained from a life of following God and leading with godly character to point people to the future. What a selfless act to just say, this is not about me. As it turns out, I'm not God's gift to the world. God's doing something, and it's got to go beyond my lifetime. Lesson number four, dream God-sized dreams and inspire the next generation to pursue them. Joseph had a God-given dream when he was young, and he lived his life following after that dream, and he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the dream, and we celebrate that. But at the end of his life, Joseph from all of his experience of receiving a dream and, and pursuing it with his life. He gets the people who are going to live on after him around him, and he says, guys, look at that dream. Dream that one. Egypt's been great. We've prospered. We've multiplied. We've grown. But that won't always be the case, guys. Remember, God's got a land for us. He promised it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Don't quit dreaming that dream. And Joseph, to prove that he's committed to the dream that's still yet to be dreamed and fulfilled in God's people, says when that dream starts to happen, even though I'm dead, I want to participate in it. What an example of faith. Dream God-sized dreams and inspire the next generation to pursue them. It strikes me that what I love about people like Ed Hoover is that Ed has been one of those people that when I've said, Ed, here's an idea, Ed has said to me, that's all you got? You can't make it bigger than that? I've had enough conversations with people in my life who, who were older, who I looked up to, who said in those same moments, you're going to dream something silly like that? You always have a choice of how you finish. And as you age, as I age, I want to be the kind of person that says, that's all you got? Let's one-up that. Let's dream bigger dreams. 
Let's think about the future. Let's not be limited by our past and let's not be limited by our present. Let's look at the future and say, God, you can do anything that you want to do. And we pursue that. That's the kind of old man I want to be. I want to be the kind of old man that puts wind in the sails of young leaders so that the people of God go farther and faster after I'm gone than while I was here. And I hope that while I'm here, the people of God go farther and faster than the generation before. Because I think that's what we're called to do. I was joking with Kira before service, we were praying. And I said to her, you know, our mission is to take over the world. And she laughed and I said, I'm not joking. That's our mission. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And right now, the church isn't doing a good job. It's not doing a good job. We're losing ground. We're not influencing culture for Jesus like we should be. And we need a whole new breed of people who will decide in their spirits that we are going to be future-oriented. That our past, as good as it has been, is not good enough. And that our present, as enjoyable as it might be, is not enough for our culture and our world. No, we are going to be a people who lean into the future to say, God, would you make us the kind of people that help your church go farther and faster in our day so that the people who come after us can go farther and faster still? That's the kind of old man I want to be. I want us to have a future-oriented faith. So, I want everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes, in the room and at home. Nobody looking around. Not even looking around your living room, even if you're by yourself. Nobody looking around. Just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. I've opened up my own personal journey. What I've shared this morning is not directed at anybody. It's directed at me. I read to you from my journal. Because these words convict me. But now it's your time to have your moment of reflection with the Lord. Do you have a future-oriented faith? And what would you need God to do in your heart today to make you more future-oriented? And some of you might be having the conversation in your mind, but I'm already old. But if you're not dead, then he is not done with you. If you are not dead, he is not done with you. And some of you need to hear that today. What do you need God to do in your heart today to give you a future orientation, a future-oriented faith? 
And then in this moment of reflection, could you just ask God to do that miracle in you? Father, I stand before you as one of your servants in this room. There are lots of them, and there are even more who have gathered with us online today. I'm just one of your servants, but God, I want to be a man of God like Joseph. I want to live a life of integrity. I want to always be a responsible steward. I want to be an effective leader with whatever task you give me to do. But when I get to the end, I want to be found as a man of God pointing to the future. come alongside the next generation, the emerging leaders, whenever, how many ever years you give me, God, I'm not guaranteed one more moment. But God, if you'd let me live to 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, when I'm at the end, I want to be found as a man calling young leaders around, saying, Look at what God's going to do. Look at what God's going to do. Run after that. God, would you make me that kind of person, person with a future-oriented faith, and would you make my brothers and sisters those kinds of people too? Because I think that's the kind of people you want us to be in this day and in this time people who celebrate the past, people who enjoy your presence in the moment, but people who are always looking to what you want to do in the future. Please, God, make us those kind of people, and we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name.